Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that still can't quite believe the likes of Krasnodar, Wren and Manchester United are in this season's Champions League. Good for them. Today we're looking ahead to a tricky challenge at Bramall Lane as well as celebrating an inspirational figure from just down the road. We're also going to attempt to finally get to the bottom of this perplexing riddle. If Raheem Sterling is so out of form, as certain journalists suggest, then how come he just can't stop scoring? To solve this puzzle and more, I'm grateful to be joined today by two super sleuths in the form of Howard and Leon. Hi Howard, you okay mate? Yeah, fine thanks, yourself? I'm okay, yeah, not too bad, it's uh, the weather's doing me, I didn't just drizzly yeah. constant. It's, it's dark here, <laughs> quarter to ten in the morning yeah. it's dark. It is, uh, dark clouds and then... That, was, that's winter for When me, I spoke yeah. to Aysan on Wednesday he said, I don't want to tell you what it's like out here right now, let's go on. He said, well, I've just got sunburn. It's unimaginable. Um, how, how are you, Leon? How's the weather down there? Well, I've got to say, it is sunny in London, but um, I don't want to gloat. <laughs> yeah, but that's balanced out by the fact that it's London. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, and, it's good um, to have you on, man. It's been a while. It has, it has. I mean, I'm still looking forward to Howard's quiz, but... You know, the Friday show is a is a great substitute. Yeah. Will it ever, yeah. ever happen this place, Howard? <laughs> yeah, it's because the other contestant is, yeah, so unreliable. What, you mean, I'm it, the busy... Go on, sorry, go on. Yeah, I wrote it so long ago that it, most of the questions were about last season. So right, yeah. I've had to start it from scratch now anyway, but... <laughs> Big Time Lloyd, isn't it? it? Let's do yeah, it Let's soon. get rid of Big Time Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's Lloyd. so busy all the time. It's just slowing <laughs> us down, isn't it? <laughs> So, yeah, there will be a quiz soon that I'll have to see if there's someone else around. Because we can do two, so... Well, I'm looking forward to coming last in that. <laughs> right, well, the main topic today, or certainly the opening topic, is a Manchester United player. So that's a rarity in itself. A City podcast will be kind of allocating so much time to a United player, and certainly in such you know positive vibes, really. But how can we not talk about Marcus Rashford right now and the amazing work he is currently undertaking it's fair to say he's had a very good week indeed. Scored a Champions League winner, uh, followed a week later by a Champions League hat-trick. And in between all that, he's got over a million signatures for his petition to end child poverty. Um, he's ignored the trolls on Twitter. Um, he's getting politicians running around in circles while shaming him for good measure. Um, and all while putting child hunger front and centre into the nation's conversation. Leon, what's your take on the whole thing? Um, I just, I just said it off air. I mean, we've, whether it's because of the coronavirus and all this uh, pandemic business, is my love of football, you know, is dwindling a touch. Obviously, I, I still, I'd much rather have it than not at the minute with no fans. And obviously, I'll always love City forever. Um, but from all the stuff we've discussed in the past, you know, players overpaid, no loyalty, VAR, fans getting put last, Pratt's on telly talking about it. I could go on and on. It wouldn't take long. It wouldn't take long to sort of go find more and more. But Marcus Rashford is an unbelievable figure um, because in the past, footballers have been kind of laughed at in the press for being big time Charlies, for going out on the lash all the time, for the page three blondes back in the sort of 70s, 80s, you know, not known to be the brightest. So to see a young guy um, force an issue in Parliament is great 
it's great for, um, you know, the game. But it's just that juxtaposition of where football has become so sterilised. I think if you avoid Sky Sports, it's not quite as bad. I think Sky Sports is the one that's really killing it at the minute. Talk sport, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's around the football rather than the actual football and then obviously VAR. But no, I mean, the rest of the rest of the young players in the Premiership and around really, you know, he's an inspiration to them. And we saw it with Raz before. Yes. We've seen Raz sort of take on this kind of uh, political or, you know, a figure in the nation to be proud of. And, and this is only good for football. So it's the juxtaposition of footballers are now becoming better examples of people. <laughs> Yet the game and the experience and is kind of going down week by week, maybe partly because of the pandemic. So I'm not going to get too carried away with that. So no, I think he's done amazing without getting political because I avoid politics on the podcast and on Twitter. I think he, he's a credit to uh, his family and he's done great stuff. And, and more importantly, he's an example to other young players. And it's not about getting the biggest car and the biggest house. I'm sure he's got it as well, by the way. Um, it's, it's not about that. It's about doing good and being an example uh, in your game. Well, That's my take. It's kind of like footballers are becoming the 21st century rock stars, haven't they? And, and when you look back to the 80s and Live Aid and all the charitable endeavours undertaken by rock stars and, and actors too and celebrities in general, I mean, footballers now have become such kind of you know, so prominent in the public eye, they have the power and influence to do this. So it doesn't overly surprise me that this is the case and we can look back at Vinnie Company and um, the incredible work he's done to help Manchester's homeless, raising uh, over £3 million. Pounds. Which um, hasn't had all the credit it deserved, by it the way. It absolutely hasn't. And, yeah, and I'm so glad that we're able to kind of put this out there on the pod because it was incredible what Vinnie did. And... Um, and again, kind of working with politicians and getting things done, which is, you know, the, the best way forward. And Reese James as well, the youngster at um, Chelsea, he's donated 10 grand this week to a London food charity and he wants to get more involved. Raz, as you've mentioned, is working the passport. Now he's launching a foundation to help deprive kids. Um, so Howard, when you look back at March and we look back at, I think it was Matt Hancock who said that, you know, Premier League footballers should take a pay cut and, a lot of the narrative was about how kind of, you know, footballers were at odds with what we were going through in this country. I mean, that perception has changed dramatically now, hasn't it? No, I don't, I don't think many people fell for Hancock's right, okay. yeah. bullshit, to be honest. So, well, we all live in a bubble, don't we? I'm not going to get into politics either or try not to, because what's the point? Uh, we all know what's happened and we'll have our views, but... Yeah, there was, I think, I would hope in March. I mean, the, Gordon Taylor will get all the, the blame, but his point was very, very valid. If they cut wages, they pay less tax. It's quite simple. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, this is stupid. It's a false economy. You should keep, let them keep the wages, pay the taxes, and make their contributions separately. And I would hope most people saw through the absolute drivel, you know, about how this was all on footballers. Uh like about footballs being rock stars, well, of course, the Premier League's. I mean, there's not, there's no live music at the moment. You know, it's everything's <laughs> shut down, but football goes on, and it's the biggest league in the world, the you know most publicised, most watched, and everything. So they really can, you know, they've got that platform to make a difference. Uh, but it's still, you know, I don't like the use of the word brave a lot of the time, 
just a huge brave threat. Brave is really putting your safety on the line, but it is brave for footballers to stay, you know, put their head above the parapet like Sterling and Rashford have done and take on politicians because they are in a hiding to nothing a lot of the time. You know, the abuse they will get. Hmm. I mean, I've said before, a footballer can say on Twitter, oh, I think it's going to be sunny today and probably get death threats and racial abuse because... That's how toxic platforms can be. Yeah. When they're doing stuff like this, I can only, you know, Ryan Sterling's been racially abused outside City's training ground in the past. Uh, you know, they, they do put themselves at risk by taking on authority, basically. So it's an amazing thing that's, uh, that Rashford's done. And it's, I, I don't think footballs have that bad an image. I mean, individuals would do terrible things, but that's on individuals. I think people who don't like football probably think they're all spoiled prima donnas, but actual football fans, do we go around thinking footballers are prima donnas? Well, good point. Yeah. if they play well, we're fine with it. <laughs> if, they, if they go on the strike and start phoning in performances, then yeah, then, then they're all spoiled. Uh, but I don't, as football fans, I don't think we see that anymore. That, not, you know, not I, anymore. I mean, I never do because I'm mean, a film star can make, Hundred million pounds a year, yeah, the top film star. We don't get it. We don't get. Yeah, you know, we don't look into what other people are musicians or film stars. So the money side, and they've done footballers and loads of them are doing charitable stuff every day of the week that we know nothing about because football clubs are communities and players work with the club and they do their own. They've all got their own passion that they contribute to. Rahim himself has put about a million pounds into this foundation. Is now looking for others like city sponsors to match that contribution. So yeah, he can afford million pounds, but he doesn't have to do it. These guys are passionate about this. They remember the roots and how they grew up and the struggles and it's wonderful to see. And they've got the power and they've, I mean, they've just embarrassed politicians. I mean, it's not difficult really, but this was an open goal for the government. And yeah, I would, I would hope that still, you know, he'll keep pushing and things will get sorted. So uh, yeah, it's been amazing to see, basically. And pretty sad, though, that we're in this position where he has to do it. So, But yeah, we've seen fans come together as well. So City United, you know, might be on pay-per-view at the end of November if it's still a thing, or it might be cheaper by then. So the boycott's raised about £300,000, I think, of pay-per-view uh, matches. And City United fans will hopefully come together to do another push for funds for food banks at the end of November and it's been nice to see fans come together in a common cause and not the bitching and the tribalism I don't think it'll last <laughs> we're bitching and you know having to go at each other in a week but it's still nice to see that you know we can do things together and succeed basically Leon did you want to say something I just got yeah thanks Steve I got something else to add is that it kind of also shows that I know that we're the new generation and, and the kids coming up at the same kind of age as these footballers, they are so much more self-aware than we were yeah. at that age. Now, I think that's dangerous as well, by the way. Um, but it's a great thing in this example. But, you know, you listen to music. I listen to a lot of British grime music, still trying to be cool and young, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you listen to, to, to singer, rappers, singers like Loyal Kana and Santan Dave, and they are so self-aware and intelligent and... Yeah. And it's like unbelievable. I mean, at 22, 21, I was, I won't tell you what I was into though, mostly. It's just, you know, limited and stereotype and cliche at university. You know, we cared about where's where the next drink was coming from, et cetera. But these guys really do think. So that is amazing. And it's also a big transformation. I know footballers don't get a huge 
amount of grief now. But if you look back just 19 years to 9-11, when the golden generation were all in the pub at the airport laughing. Yes. Yeah. That, that's the contrast. And, and, you know, I'm not picking on Rio and Ashley Cole and all that generation because they all seem to be pretty good role models now. But, you know, that's the difference between where where they were perceived and where they were then to where young footballers like Rashford and Sterling are now, which is great progress. I just think it's a shame that everything else to do with the game <laughs> has not progressed and gone <laughs> gone much worse. But that's enough from me on that. I think age is, is a relevant kind of thing to throw in here because, you know, I, I think back to when I was, you know, Rashford's age. Um, if I was a professional footballer, I'd be a right dick. I would be an absolute dick. If I was on Twitter back at then, you know, I, I see people on Twitter really toxic, really kind of, you know, abusive and really kind of, you know, arseholes, basically. And I think you're 18. You're clearly 18, 17, 16, 15. Um, and then I think, well, I would be far worse than you if when I was a teenager. If I had Twitter when I was back then, oh, my God, it, it would just, it makes me cringe just to think what I would be like. Um so yeah, I but you'd be gutted as well, Steve. You'd be gutted because you're missing out on so much of life. Yeah, that's true. I don't mean it's like an old miserable old granddad, but you would imagine true. that all the time you're in record shops or watching football or going to football or yeah. playing football, and instead you're on Twitter arguing with people. Yeah, and also just yeah. kind of you must be pretty that. sad to spend your day on Twitter. I mean, I, I saw an interview with um, I saw an interview with Cole, did, yeah. Cole Palmer the other day, and yeah, you know, it was a perfectly nice interview. He did perfectly well. Nothing to kind of, but as I was watching it, I just thought he's playing it very safe. Uh, you know, kind of he's, he's just not really giving any opinion and all the rest of it. I wasn't judging him because um, you know he's a teenager. And then I remembered what I was like when I was a teenager. I could string two words together. I remember we did this kind of. Um, thing for social studies in school and we had like a brought a camera in and we had to do like a mock interview or something i watched it back and i repeated the same phrase about 50 times because i was so nervous that was in school this is like yeah. a proper big interview and yet he's sitting there calmly just talking about things and just playing it safe because he's you know shrewd he's, he's clever he knows if he if he steps out of that box just for one second if he says anything of kind of your know, personal interest then it'll get picked up on it'll be a headline in the Manchester Evening News so they are so tuned in these days these kids that's it exactly tuned in and, and a filter and self-aware and, yes yeah. and, that, and that, that, that's only good that's only good I just you know it's a shame that you have to be like that but you know the world's changed yeah. and you have, to, you have to accept that there's no point in harping har- har- it's a will do it's that's the only will do no at least I mean they, they, yeah exactly they, yeah. yeah I never want to sound like that miserable old git saying oh when I was a lad we did all this. But I mean, occasionally we do, obviously. But no, it's a good thing. And ultimately, it's amazing what he's done. And hopefully lots of other footballers will will do other things in other areas to help other people. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty more, but we will, we've got to move on. But I mean, I just want to mention Vertonghen. Vertonghen I want to mention because I saw during lockdown, he was helping out with food banks and he was going there and delivering the food. And I was a, t- a touch sceptical because, you know, it's, it's getting filmed. So you think, okay, well, you know, you, you're filming this, maybe you're doing it for kind of promotion or reasons. But then when they were talking to him, these kind of guys who work at the distribution uh, area, they knew him really well. You know, they clearly see him every week. And I thought, well, hang on, but what about all these other times you've done this without a, a camera crew being there, you know, and not making a big fuss about it, keeping it all very private. I think, as Howard said, there's a lot of footballers out there who do a lot of good things and just keep it on the quiet and, yeah, all power to them. Right, well, we've mentioned one, uh, Raz. 
um, a truly inspirational figure to to many, um, and, and in my eyes too. Uh, but this week he's coming through a bit of criticism from um, another inspirational figure, Miguel Delaney. <laughs> <laughs> um, Delaney and Gary Lineker had a Twitter spat this week when um, Lineker, well, sorry, when Delaney wrote a, a critical piece on the City Forward, he said Raheem Sterling lacks that final five percent. Um, something what Lineker disagreed with him, basically just said, why do you have to be so negative all the time? Howard, yeah. does Raheem Sterling lack that final 5%? Well, in the, the year that's had it all, a new a new low now, I might have to defend Miguel Delaney. Oh my God, get off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can you hear me both? I'll be muted now. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's just pulled the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, the router cable out. And, uh, I'm, I'm just, no, I'm just basically, kidding. I don't read his stuff anymore because it's just like well, no, it's just easier yeah, not to have him in my life. But when Gary Lineker wades in, I thought, oh, what's this all about? Now, I did not forensically examine that Miguel Delaney piece, but I went through it and I thought, no, nothing really stands it out. It wasn't, I've got to say, it wasn't. No. So the headline is about, he didn't write the headline, of course, but the headline's about Sterling because Sterling is mentioned in the first thing because he misses the chances at the end. So it is a logical progression that you focus on a player who could have won it at the end, blah, blah, blah. It's just how writing works in a way. I didn't, I say, I just skimmed through and thought, look, there's nothing that really stands out. We've been a lot, we were a lot, lot harsher. Uh, or Lloyd and Asan were on the review on the West Ham game, which I would have been if I'd been on it. It, you know, it just said the obvious stuff, really, that, you know, that City haven't quite got, obviously. I mean, it's obvious to us all got to that, that level this season yet, you know, until Marseille perhaps, and there's reasons for that, obviously no pre-season and so on, injuries, etc. It didn't, I mean, the, the article didn't just focus on Sterling. So I think if it's a fine article if you just accept, yeah, that the team against West Ham, you know, are definitely missing that 5%, not particularly, specifically, Raheem Sterling. He's just part of that. He's one of many players who hadn't reached the heights. Now, I think that's about system as well, as much as not getting into match fitness and all that. I wouldn't... No, he's not out of form. He can miss easy chances and he will always but does, be that but player. But does that bother you, Howard? I mean, you know, I love Raheem to bits and, you know, it's, it's huge the difference he makes when he plays to, to when he doesn't. But it has to be said that if he's clean through one on one, he's not going to score. The scoring rate ratio in that instance must be, you know, really low. Frankly, you've got no faith in him, have you? And, and in that yeah. kind of, you know, scenario. And if it's a Champions League final and there's a few minutes to go and he's clean through, you'd be kind of wishing that you, you know, he wasn't playing that particular day. So does that does that concern you? Concerns me. What can we do about it? Is Raheem Sterling? He's brilliant in virtually everything else. Yeah. And but he lacks composure. He's not a striker, so yeah. If you play him as a but striker, but he plays in a striking role. I mean, he's not. I know, yeah. He put he he play wide, and he could still find himself through on goal, you know, yeah. because he'll drift inside and so on. But you know, straight ball over the top, straight down the middle. That's a ball for a striker, and he isn't that, and he's never going going to be. I don't, what age is he now? I just I don't oh, he's think never, he's never going to improve in that regard. I he's can't never going to come a dead eye kill him in front of goal no. or be the king of a uh, yeah. He'll often get through on goal, look to check back or you know just do a, a move and get round the keeper. But he won't be looking like someone you know Guerra or Haaland or your obvious strikers would be looking to 
looking at that goal as soon as they bear down on it and getting a shot in as quick as possible. So it is what it is. Nothing's changed. Yeah, remember him missing. We drew one all at Burnley a couple, good couple of years ago and he missed an open goal, did exactly the same thing about three yards out that day. Well, it would have made it 2-0 at the time. Uh, didn't matter in the scheme of things. And he will score brilliant goals. He'll score lots of goals, but miss the odd sitter. And he's not alone in that. Uh, but, yeah, he just, I don't know, he has a strange swing of his legs sometimes when the ball comes across. Yes. It's like yeah. a bit of short-sightedness. But, yeah, I don't think he's particularly off form. He could do that at any point in his career. Uh, still scoring goals, excellent against Marseille, where the system suited a lot of the players a lot better. So suddenly, when the system suits them, they play better. It's pretty much simple as that for me. Okay, Leon, do you, does it concern you that he, he lacks that kind of clinical edge, Raheem? I mean, his, his scoring ratio is superb, but it, you know it's clear for all to see. You know, we watch him every week. He does lack, lack that clinical edge. He does, and I'm as torn on Raza as I am this puppy today, to be honest with you. <laughs> Um, Does anyone because, know what that means? Call your yeah, sorry, yeah, You've got yeah, to call that's, a, that, that's a bit random. That um, You've just got to, to fill in to any, to any listeners who care is um, I'm due to get a puppy today, and I'm so in two minds. But so yeah, it's the same with um, Raz. Really, I've been defending him ever since he arrived at City. A couple of my mates who I go to games with get after him, and I remember having a huge row with some England fans on the beach in Brighton and. 2018, England, Sweden, who are slagging him off. Um, I love him, um, but he just, he's brilliant at scoring from 20 yards, you know, that curling right foot into the corner. And he's brilliant creating and he's brilliant at tap-ins, which obviously he gets abused for, but he just hasn't got that brain I think he's so quick and his movement's so quick, his brain can't catch up. So he has too much to think. But, but he doesn't, at least he doesn't get offside like Gabby does. Because that goal he scored again on, in the week, Hazus would have been offside for that. Yeah. So he, he times his runs amazingly well. So I love him. I'd much rather have him in the team as, as, as not have him. I, the only thing is, I'm, I'm, when I'm, he plays on the right again now, I then really miss Sane. Because that, I mean, he's gone now and it's done. But Sterling on the right, Sane on the left, that but, was it for they me. They enjoyed playing with, with each other, didn't they, Sane? And yeah, and also some of those games, there's that West Ham game I remember vividly when there was Gabby up front and then Sane and Sterling and they just tore them apart. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that's gone. St- Sane was hard work by all accounts, as we know. And, and Sterling, so I am disappointed though because you're, you're exactly right is that I had more faith in players of the past during the old dark years of finishing a one-on-one than I have with Raz. And he has this sort of check thing yes. that always invariably goes wrong. And it's like, what are you doing? Because he, he is so good. He gets into positions and his skills and, he, and he's running. It, it, it's probably Hazard had a few more sort of skills running on the ball, but he's right up there with the best of the best. And he's finishing at the edge of the box. It's right up there. Yeah, but it's, it's just, it's, it's just that. In, because just, if, if you're no, he's criticised for that West Ham miss, but at least he's shot on that occasion. Yeah. No, exactly. No, and I'm with you, but it, it's, I suppose if you're stood on the beach at Brighton and you're defending someone because you love him as a player, as a guy and in your team, but he gives so much, uh, 
food for thought and opportunities for our rival fans to slag him off. It, I mean, might... Yeah, but let's be honest. He's been England's one of England's best players for quite a while now as well. He did have a real dip in England colours. Uh, but he did any like Trent, for... Trent Alexander Arnold, for example, has barely had a good game for England. Do you think he would ever get the criticism Raheem Sterling does? Well, no, of course he wouldn't. No, so. no, he wouldn't. Of course it's he wouldn't. It's not the <laughs> same. It's not the same rules for everyone at all. And but with England, yeah. though, because our main games are in tournaments, yeah, you don't want Raz in the semi-final, and it always does come down to it with City and England. We seem to be like the unluckiest sides <laughs> ever. Uh, in the big in the big moments, well, apart from one, obviously, the name of this podcast, um, hmm. that you just couldn't have faith in him to do it yeah. and to score it, and and that's the saddest part. And I think when Arteta was there, he obviously coached him a lot and got him a lot more confident. Because don't forget, let's think about the wingers that Sterling's outshone over the years: the Walcotts, the Lennons. and all the w- wingers that sort of flatter to deceive. He's taken it to another level in. Confident wing play. And so ironically, he, goal scoring, 31 okay, goals. Exactly, game. he's done that. Yeah. But but how much better would he be if you just had that faith in him for finishing? Because well, you, well, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's a real tough one. You could go, we could go on for ages, but I love him and I hope I hope he can improve it. But I just think he needs to be not playing up front. And it all comes down to really, he shouldn't be necessarily there he's an amazing winger who can cut inside go on the outside and we should have got another striker to cover this problem well I mean it's just I find it so infuriating because it naturally follows that if you're someone who has confidence issues um, when you're clean through one and one then you'd think he would just snatch at chances um, just take him early he doesn't he doesn't it very opposite applies and, and that kind of checking back is exasperating uh, I've even seen him do it where he checks back and the keeper basically just falls on the ball, um, which is just... Anyway, let's move on because... Yeah, I was... can I just say, it's a strange battle for Lineker to pick, though, for all the stuff that McGraw Delaney's done. Yeah, I think well, nothing, no one else to go at that day. Yeah, no, well, I think, I think what Lineker's... I think Gary Lineker's saying, basically, is, you know, in the current climate... <sighs> I don't know how to say I did forensically examine the Delaney piece, but in the current climate, cut cut everyone a bit of slack. I mean, we can see that you know, Liverpool aren't at full speed, are But why didn't he read the rest of Delaney's, Delaney's Lineker was. I think Lineker was just saying, come on, you know, just... It's, it's football for the times, basically. It's like people are struggling and footballers are struggling. And well, I did think his negative thing that he'd picked up on it in the past that you're overly negative yeah. did strike a chord with me because that's what we've all seen as City fans is that well, the uh, need to criticise rather than be positive about football. It, it was a straw that broke the camel's back, didn't he? He basically almost admitted that in, in one of the subsequent tweets. He just said, you know, you're always negative. Normally I, get, I try and ignore you and I don't read you. So. It was it was wonderful to see, yeah. uh, it really was. But yeah, a lot of City fans enjoyed it. So let's move our attentions to this weekend. Sheffield United, a tricky, tricky game, especially at Bramall Lane. Although obviously there's going to be no fans there, which will make a difference. Um, how do you anticipate any changes from Tuesday's lineup? Uh, possibly a, a midfield double pivot for a tricky away game. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Gundogan was further forward once against. Yeah, Marseille. I have no idea what he's going to do. I would, 
I would hope. That's why we have you on. <laughs> no, but how how could we? I mean, I last season I couldn't pick a, a lineup out. I got one right, I think, during the season. <laughs> uh, and then he picks, you know, one of the most uninspiring lineups against Porto for the first time in three years. Keeps an unchanged side. Uh, just yeah, at the just when you least expect it. So. Uh, I would I would want a similar side from midweek, basically. Would you want more the, protection in the midfield? No, because they're not. At Sheffield United's an interesting side tactically, but they're not going to... Are they going to press high? Are they going to have a high line? Are they going to do the things that, you know, worried that are they going to have huge pace down the flanks? It's not going to be that sort of game. It's going to be a battle, I think, so... Really don't need two pivots. Uh, maybe Gundogan will drop out and Bernardo comes in. Uh, but I, you know, I want to see maybe Torres will stay central. Uh, I want to see, it'd be nice to see Foden playing on the, you know, playing on his stronger foot and Sterling doing the same again. But who knows with this team? And obviously the defense, I'm fine with Zinchenko might not play. I think Cancelo might come back in. Uh, but yeah, and I'd be fine with that to be honest. But I would like to see. I wouldn't want to see a lot of changes. Let's put it that way. Okay, uh, Leon. Um, Sheffield United have struggled more than most, really, with empty stadia. Um, they haven't won, won a game this season. Their form just went off a cliff after the um, you know post uh, lockdown. Um, is, is, are they struggling more than most because of their style of football? Because they're quite a passionate team. And, and is there any reasons for this? Yeah, I think they are. I think that's spot on. I was. Mind your toes, I was talking to an ex-footballer who lives <laughs> next to me. Come on, I haven't had a name drop for months. Come on, Here guys. we go. Here we go. Come on. <laughs> oh, we've oh, got to start playing name drop bingo. <laughs> honestly, when did I last do a name drop? Hang on, what is it, 29 minutes? Oh, no. I, oh, I had 22. <laughs> honestly. No, and it's I not, 34. It's, it's not a big one, by the way, but it was just to show that I've been doing some research. Who, who, who was it? Who's the, it uh, was uh, Leeds legend, Lee Chapman. Oh, oh yeah, nice yeah. one. But it, only because he lives next door to me here, and uh, I see him out when he's walking the dog. And he lives next door to you now. Yeah, we've is, got a mutual friend. Is he still so with Leslie like, Ash? He is the lovely Leslie. He so is. your next door neighbour is Leslie Ash. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fifteen-year-old me would have hated you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they're lovely, Lee and Les. But oh, you can but, walk your dogs together as well now. Exactly, exactly. So we were, but we were chatting about this, and obviously Lee was saying that. The reason it, it's obviously so many goals is that strikers have no fear of the crowd. Defenders rely upon the fear of the crowd. Mm. And for most of them, it makes them concentrate more. Hence, all the leakage and the goals. And, and that's why. So, that, and sides like Sheffield United, who had decent atmosphere, Leicester, although Leicester are doing well again, Liverpool, who, whatever we say, have struggled in t- yeah. terms of their points since the lockdown and it, it was an interesting point especially the one about defenders not feeling the pressure of the crowd which actually helps them because I also thought that would make them more prone to mistakes but I think he made a really good point that wasn't just a name drop for the sake of a name drop I'm no, 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 you no. realise he's had a good point there I mean Leslie didn't say what she thought about it um, <laughs> but I just feel that and to me we've discussed it before is that I won't miss a game, a City game, but I rarely watch a neutral game with no crowd. Yeah. Um, I want it rather than not have it, like we didn't have it for the three or four months 
in the lockdown. That was awful. Um, but yeah, I think clubs like Sheffield and also Sheffield United, you know, I don't want to throw the cliches out, but it's the old second season syndrome, um, which we see a lot, don't we? Absolutely. And Sides come up. Anticipate this regardless of whether there'll be fans there or not. I've got, I've yeah. got to say... I've, I've got, got one question. Sorry, last yeah. thing before. But on. On, just on, on... Obviously, the wave of this pandemic is bad now. It's getting worse. But I still saw last night and the night before the Europa, the Champions League, there were quite a few fans in different parts of Europe at the ground. Mm. Has that been discussed? Because I, I still can't see why you can go and watch it in a cinema in Stratford at West Ham, but you can't go and watch it, have 10,000 in the ground. Is there, is there any news on that at all? Well, that's that was going to be our next subject to discuss. Oh, sorry. No, oh, yeah, no, no, it's, you've, you've let you've wow, let us into wow. it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but yeah. Sorry, that that was sorry, that was poor by me. No, no, it's I've got nothing to say about a lineup because, as as Howard says, I mean, we've got a squad, decent squad of 16, 17 players, and any of them can play. And God knows what he's going to do, Pep. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've got Olympia. Well, firstly, I think. Uh, even the Bundesliga now has, has stopped fans going into ground. So, right, if they're, okay. if they're not having them, we're, we're just not having them. It's not happening. So, well, so that's it's still March, I mean, the it. cinema thing's ridiculous, but yes. what can you do about it? The rules are just random. So, but football's not going to have. I mean, I think, yeah, you can go down about seven seven uh, levels down the pyramid and still watch football, but uh, Premier League football's not going to have it. And United have said they've adjusted the ground so they can have 23,000 in, but. Honestly, the way cases are going, just forget it until the spring. It's, right, it's, okay. not, it's not happening. Yeah, I've heard at least uh, six months. Yeah, but I mean, as for yeah, the lineup, Sheffield United haven't have not been thrashed by anyone. You know, they're losing a lot of games by one or two goals. And the one where I watched one lost at home to Wolves 2 0, because uh, he did two very early goals, but they were the better side second half. Yeah, Wolves were resilient. Yeah. Uh, they've not. Their performances have not fallen off a cliff. It's just the results haven't followed. So don't think there's a lot wrong with what they're doing. They're just struggling to score. You know, they'll rarely score more than one. And I hope that remains the case. But, I mean, I remember last season we won 1-0 there and that was a real battle. Yeah. <laughs> and it felt, full time, it felt like one of the results of the season. You know, just to come out battle, grit, just a different type of game completely. It's, it's not the weather's going to be appalling. It's going to be a real... But, yeah, a real slog, I think. So I don't know if that will affect the team he picks if he's, you know, because of the different style. I'm not, not do stereotypes. They're not the cloggers that Sheffield oh, no. might have been in the past, but it will still be a different style to games we've played previously. Definitely, obviously, very different to European football. Leon, I mean, this sounds like a, a banal question, but I think in this instance, it, it's not really, um, given, you know, City's slowish start to the season, and I know it's very early doors, but we are currently kind of, you know, in a position in the league we're not very familiar with. With that in mind, how important is three three points here for City, given that a, a defeat might just start up a narrative that, you know, we're struggling this term? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I've got zero confidence at the minute of saying, someone offered me a bet in the, in, in, outside the bar last night. Mm. Um on City Sheffield United, he's a Chelsea fan. I think they've got Burnley and he wanted to try and make some bet out of it. Anyway, I told him to bog off in the end. But, um, I couldn't call tomorrow's game and, and that's where City are now, unfortunately. Yeah, that's where the, the league is as a whole. 
because of the things we just talked about. And I've seen it. It sounds, um, I should be a bit, I'm too old to play FIFA, but just picking the City team on FIFA now is much, much harder, yeah. which kind of shows, obviously, that Torres might be world beater. So, we've got, you know, we've got to give those guys a chance, the new signings a chance. But playing the City team on FIFA is nowhere near as good. And that shows in the last couple of years how the squad at the minute isn't is worse than the squad two seasons ago. Yeah. So that and a Sheffield United away game when we're on a run, you wouldn't even consider it. Yeah, we used to lose the odd away game when you know teams park the bus and get the odd one away goal. But I, I've got no inkling as what tomorrow will happen. The team he picks, and then what happens in the game. And I read a stat in the week about the run going on. Man City have still won only one Premier League away game when trailing at half-time in over 25 years. Well... During 104 matches back to April 1995, 104 games, one win, 13 draws, 90 defeats. So, Sheffield United nick a go in the first half. Um, Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) That's not like me to be negative, by the way, on Pep or on City. And I'm sure we'll... We'll win tomorrow. We look so good in the week. But, you know, I, I I couldn't put a bet on it. Well, I mean, I'm so glad you mentioned that about the kind of conceding first because that is the big issue for City, I think. And it's a mentality issue. Um, it used to be where if we conceded first, not, not so much away from home as that stat suggests, but certainly at home, um, two years ago, three years ago, if someone scored against us, I'd feel sympathy for them. I'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you done? You've scored yeah. against us and there's still 70 minutes to go. You are going to get wallet today. Now, if someone scores at 20 minutes, I, I don't fancy us. I genuinely don't fancy us. You know, I fancy us maybe to get an equaliser, but I've no way, no way of knowing which way that game's going to go there. A bit like Pellegrini's last season. A little bit like that, yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah. Um, and I mean, someone on Twitter last week, uh, kind of a friend of mine on Twitter, describes this current team as bedwetters. And I thought, you know what? There's a bit of truth in that. There's there's not many players in this team who would... And I'm not talking about the kind of Vinnie Company kind of chest beating, you know, and all this bit. I just mean, within themselves, would think, right, you, you bastards, you've just scored against us, right? We're not having that. You know, there's it, it, it a dip. When that and that happens. comes down to the leadership that hasn't been there really mm, since Vinnie. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still not sure why I just didn't make De Bruyne a... Um, captain well he is for me an exception in that regard yeah if someone scores against City then he is the one who you can see he's kind of saying lads let's not accept this because he's a natural leader isn't he I just still don't get that I mean listen again I sound like I'm moaning I've got nothing to moan about Um, especially compared to years ago nothing to moan about at all but it is the leadership thing is slightly frustrating. It is. It's an issue. And, and, and I've got to say, players, point, when you said um, earlier about the defenders and, and kind of feeling more comfortable in empty stadia, um, another thing I've heard as well from uh, a former professional was that... The Come on, big, name him now, because I sound like it, a right it wasn't, it wasn't to me. It was directly to me. I, I just saw it on, oh, work, okay. on the radio. Okay. <laughs> Stefan's going to slaughter me for the name dropping. <laughs> but anyway, he said a really interesting point to me, which was that the big players, the big-time players, are struggling this season because, you know, they're naturally inclined to raise their game and perform yeah. in front of 80,000 people. And whereas, you know, the other players may be, you know, slightly more timid, perhaps, or this is their time now to shine. And that's what I love about Kevin De Bruyne. He is grabbing the games by the scruff of their neck in empty yeah. stadiums. 
I mean, that, yeah. that is, just shows the, the drive, the self-drive that he has, that the kind of standard he sets himself and for his team, and he will reach that standard regardless, or at least he'll put everything into it. Um, so, yeah, that's why I've got so much respect for it. And I've seen it with other players, Mo Salah, to name but one, who are struggling a little bit because they're big-time players and they can't raise their game right now. They're Bob Willis syndrome, if you know your cricket. I don't, what's that about? Um, Howard, help me out. No, Bob Willis, basically, <laughs> who sadly died earlier this year, yeah. he basically was a sort of journeyman cricketer. Well, played for Warwickshire, but didn't do much in, in county cricket. And then when he used to bowl, he used to have a long, long run-up. The whole crowd used to be start screaming, go on, Bob, go on, Bob. <laughs> and he'd, he'd bowl like an absolute nutter. So his statistics for England were out of this world. He was, he was the number one wicket-taker for right. years. And then he hardly even played or did anything for Warwickshire. So he was a big-time player. He needed the crowd behind him. He right. needed everything to happen. And, yeah, you're right. There's players... I don't think it affected Ronaldo before he went down with coronavirus or Messi, but I think there'll be other players that really need need the crowd behind them. Mm. Um, must be a big issue all the time in cricket because, obviously, county games just... Historically, yeah, there's no yeah, one there. We played yeah. out in near emptiness a lot of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean mentality-wise, it must be huge to, you know, it must be a big part of the game to get. But to watch on telly, telly, I never say that word. To watch on TV, it's actually entertaining cricket. The IPL, they yeah. put you know, the crowd on, and you're watching the game. The crowd obviously makes a difference. We all like to watch the old fancy dress, the old Trafford, mm. and the Headingley and the beer snakes and all that, but. Cricket's actually really good to watch on TV still, um, but I do think the football's struggling. I, I, um, I agree. I mean, without in mind then, Leon, I mean, I can't foresee fans getting back into the grounds in the next six months. Um, it looked possible for October. They were aiming for a 30, 30% capacity at one point in October, mm. but it's just not going to happen now. Should that indeed happen now, before this six months are out, this season's out, and they're let it be, let's say, 3,000 in and it goes to some kind of raffle or whatever and you get a ticket would you go um not if I get this puppy it's probably out of the house <laughs> too many hours <laughs> no I mean it, I, I, it would I, and I, I travel I don't want to sound like a London wanker but a London game I probably would if my mates were going as well but I would not go and sit in a travel or, or go and sit in a stadium next to nobody because for me going to Crystal Palace everyone standing up having a few pints before and a few pints after yeah. that, 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 that's, that's, that's an away game or a football match for me so no I wouldn't I mean hopefully when I get a bit older and a bit more mature I'll be able to just go there and sit and take the game in but no I'm still that um, that teenager 20 year old well I mean, I'm the same I know that you're the same too Howard I mean if you got a ticket and you're able to go to the SEA, but you're, you know, obviously you're, you go with your mates, they're not there on this occasion. You're basically, you know, two, three meters away from anyone else. Would you, would you go? Uh, probably go once so I could write about how soulless and crappy it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's genius answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, if you're not sat next to someone, what's the point? Yeah. Just, just like any, every City game in the 88th minute where I've got the road to myself because everyone's gone home. <laughs> <laughs> like high-fiving myself if there's a late goal. Or... Yeah, uh, there's no, I mean, just the whole, for me, you know, I'd have to... I'd be on four tram journeys to get there. 
which see myself just leave me anxious, you know, because obviously, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't put trams on at the best of times after a normal game, but you'd have to get on a crowded tram or the logistics of it is bad. The whole thing will be soulless. Yes, they're in front of you, playing in front of you, but there won't be much of an atmosphere, of course, because there's fewer people there and no one's sat together and it'll just be weird. And I think I'd just feel quite empty about it, to be honest. Mm. But I'd still do it once, just so I can... Do it once, yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned United with, uh, was it 23,000? Yeah, I think it was 23,500. But I also saw that thing that United were saying that they could have staggered arrival times. How the hell can you have staggered arrival times when you're talking about thousands of people? That's not possible, surely. Well, how do they leave? In this country. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, it's it's, um, (laughs) a... It is a shame. I can't see it happening. Uh, yeah, I think you've got to be all or nothing, isn't it? You've got to say, okay, let's next season we'll start off. Yeah. fans, this season we're not. And that that, 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 that's, that puts everyone... I know that clarity's not the... Kind of seems to be what we get in this pandemic. But that way that we're not all hoping, we're not all worrying. We'll just say, look, this season's behind closed doors. That's it. See you later. Yeah. Okay, let's um, turn our attention quickly to another big game this weekend. Manchester United v Arsenal. Um, for me, this is a really defining fixture. I had to write about it this week, and when I look more into it, I mean, to be fair, this was before United walloped. Um, um, who did beat five 0 Leipzig. Leipzig, sorry, um, walloped Leipzig in the week. Um, so I wrote that this before that that game, but at the time I thought this is such a huge game for both. I mean, a win and your season's back on track. A loss, and you are basically languishing in the bottom half of the table. Seven with us, in. <laughs> City. <laughs> um, so, is it a, a vital game for both managers when when you think about Solskjaer and kind of um, Arteta? And uh, I've got a follow on question actually with this, but so Leo, is it is it a vital game for both? Is it as defining? It's, it's just then I was just thinking when you, because of the no fans and the, my sort of view of football at the minute. When you think people say vital and a huge game I just can't see it yeah but obviously perhaps you know with, without the sky narrative of building these things up but yeah I mean the jury's for me the jury's out on these young managers the three you mentioned in the in the notes Arteta, Solskjaer, Lampard great to see them you know managing clubs they've been part of and love but the jury's out on all three to be honest yeah Arteta's had a couple of trophies but come on when we win the charity shield or the FA Cup no one gives a shit so and you know it was one decent game against us and we didn't turn up so yeah they are big games I don't think there's going to be as many managerial sackings this season um, which is a bold statement perhaps they will in in the latter part in the relegation zone but I just I think people will get a chance and and clubs won't want to be seen to be spending millions on managers um, and sacking people in this current climate. Um, But yeah, I mean, truth be told, as I said to you earlier, it's not particularly a great answer, but beyond City, I'm not really focusing on on football um, and other clubs. But I do feel that all three of them are unproven. And I do think that you know, United had a great win and Solskjaer's tactics were amazing, but I still can't go over how he was sacked by Cardiff and, and he got the job at Man United. <laughs> and, and Lampard did a season for Derby and didn't get promoted. And Arteta's, you know, been there, what, half a season? 
So I, I think that that's one thing in the part in in this period we've talked about footballers becoming role models again for the for the right reasons. I just think this management merry-go-round and these huge jobs going to first timers is ridiculous. Having said that, Pep did it at Barca, so I, as always, I've contradicted myself. But yeah. Well, there's going to be exceptions, of course, but I think ordinarily... I've, but the jury's out on all of them. And I, so, but I don't think anybody's under pressure in answer to your question. I don't think anyone's under pressure. I don't think big clubs are going to get rid of any managers before Christmas, for sure. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm inclined to agree. I would say that clubs are hemorrhaging so much money right now that if they're really out of the reckoning for a top four spot and it's you know, Christmas time, I think they could press the panic button, whereas ordinarily they wouldn't because, you know, the riches for the Champions League are going to be... I mean, Arsenal, for example, since March have lost like £32 million in revenue alone, whereas just getting into the Champions League will kind of guarantee them £25 million. So that right, might be a, a factor. Point. But that's a good point. I think the points you made are equally valid, though, and, and that kind of swayed me to, to think that perhaps you're right. I think there might be less sackings this season, which, which would be a welcome development. Um, Howard, when you look at Arteta and Solskjaer and Lampard, yes, Arteta's won a Chelsea Shield and he's won an FA Cup. Um, but what, I mean, maybe I've just answered my own question. Is that why he avoids so much of a kind of spotlight as regards to the narrative around Solskjaer and Lampard that they're under pressure all the time? Well, I think he avoided it because he was doing all right. So, this <laughs> is fair enough. So, is he, was he, is he doing so, so good a job though, Arteta? I mean, he split the family. Not now, no. I mean, now we can say, ooh, you know, right. could take a... You say, if you lose on Sunday, and I think United are clear favourites for this now, where a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You know, and it's... Solskjaer's a strange one, but, you know... They've got they're absolutely loaded with good players, so he really should be getting results. Uh, yeah, in the same way that we are loaded with good players and got got plenty of firepower. You know, they've got plenty in midfield. They should be doing well. United, uh, they've spent enough to be challenging for the top trophies, not just you know mid table or looking for top four. So, but Arteta, yeah, he's at a could be at a junction now where loses this. There's problems with creativity in that side a bit. Uh, obviously, swept aside the might of Dundalk, but I don't think that's going to really uh, keep him in the job for you know another year. I don't think his job's under threat because they've invested too much in him, and I think he always needed time. to. I think it was a difficult job to take on, to be honest, as your first job as well, even if it was his tenth job. I think the club was a mess after Emery. And it needed a lot of surgery, so I think I think he deserves some time. He's sorted the defence out a bit, but that's taken away the creativity that they've always had, or taken away a bit of it anyway. It it doesn't take much. It can only take it only takes a bad month for a manager to go from yeah he's doing a good job to oh my god he's on the verge of the sack, and he could be on you know that could be where he's going. If he loses on Sunday, then the pressure's on him. So, what do you think about the Ozil situation? It's bizarre. I mean, it's bizarre. Yeah. Because he's still one of the, I think he's like third top creator since the start of last season, and he's not even put a kit on for about six months. So. But do you think he's doing something a pe- ridiculous? Like, but you've got someone like Pepe as well, seventy-two million pounds. It's just you know, he's like he's got personnel issues there, and yeah, he's trying to be strong, but yeah, he's I don't, yeah, I feel like I don't he's know what pep. he's achieving with Ozil to be honest. Because no, I mean, he doesn't have to be a regular starter, but they they could do with him. So it's a very strange situation. And also, I know from my fantasy league, I like the way I compare football to fantasy league and FIFA. But Obama Yang, I went all out to get him and he's done yeah. nothing. 
Yeah. Oh, he's in so my they... team, so obviously he's going to do that. <laughs> so, so there's something wrong there as well. But yeah, I mean, I hope he does well. My negative chat earlier, I hope they all do well as young managers because who wants to see Allardyce? Yeah. Um, Aladici. Aladici. And uh, <laughs> what's his name? Um, who got so many jobs for Crystal Palace, West Ham? Alan Pardew. Alan yeah. Pardew. The we never see the them back ever again. So, you know, I can't slag them off and then not want these young guys to do well. I do want them to do well. I, I think, regardless of whether they do well or not, I think it's a big kind of seismic change in thinking now in football. And we're looking at kind of, you know, clubs are looking at young coaches. I mean, people who you would define as a coach, whereas yeah. Allardyce is a manager and Pardew is a manager. No, that's, and I think that's great, but I think they should go and learn their trade. I always, I always think back to Martin O'Neill, mm. who was a clever player. And he went down to Wickham, didn't he? And then he built himself up and then became a manager at the top level. Yeah. And that, that's how I see it. Again, I'm being an old granddad. No, no, no. That very is old, but that, uh, that was always the path, I thought. But then again, you can see Varteta. I mean, you know, what, you know, what a hell of an apprenticeship he's had under, under Pep. So, I yeah, mean, what he's learned in those few years is was invaluable. So, all right, But guys. also, I think Pep's can be really harsh. You can just go in and clear people out, clear the characters out to stamp his authority. Yes. And I think Arteta's copied that. Yeah. But I just don't understand the Ozil thing. Or David Luiz and, and the kind of extension to his contract. And um, Right, guys, let's wrap things up. Thank you very much for joining me today, Leo. No, it's been great. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. And thank you very much, Howard. Yeah, pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. Um, so I claim earlier that footballers are 21st century rock stars got us thinking. If players participated in Live Aid, who would they be? We could take it as read that Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva would form the Style Council. Well, is it too harsh to suggest that Everton's Richarlison and James Rodriguez might make up the pretenders? All we know for sure is that Harry Maguire and Phil Jones would go down a storm as simple minds. <laughs> take care of yourselves, everyone, and forever all the blues.